Well, good morning, Calvary. So good to connect with you and so glad that you have been worshiping with us today. Before we dive into the message, I have just a couple announcements to draw your attention to. And one of them, hopefully you saw this last week, you either got a letter in the mail or you read my weekly update, Um, but we have an additional way to worship coming up this following Sunday, June 7th. Uh, With the governor's proclamation, we are now able to worship together in a smaller gathering. And so we are gonna offer an outdoor worship service at 10.30 a.m. on June 7th. We also will still have online worship and we still encourage people to also get together with family or friends or their small group to watch online worship. So really three different ways that you can continue to worship with us. But 10.30 in the park, weather permitting, we're gonna have in-person worship because we can have up to 250 people. Now, if you are in a high-risk group, if you are sick, if you've been around anyone who's been diagnosed with COVID, we would ask that you please stay home and that you continue to worship with us online. But otherwise, we're looking forward to expanding the ways that we can worship together starting on June 7th. One other announcement I have for you is that Debbie Bromander, who's in our early childhood education area, is retiring after 30 years of service at Calvary. We are so grateful for Debbie's ministry and for the impact she's had on so many kids and families over the years. Now, again, with the pandemic we are in, we're not able to celebrate like we wish we could. And so if you have a card or some well wishes you'd like to send along, please send them to the church and we will make sure that they get to Debbie. So thank you to her for all of her years of faithful service. So we're in the middle of a series where we're looking at the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk is one of the 12 minor prophets who are at the end of the Old Testament. Now, here's a brief overview from last week. Habakkuk, the book, was written around 600 BC. And God told Habakkuk, a prophet, He said, tell your people that I'm going to destroy them because they are so evil. Now, as you can imagine, Habakkuk's not real thrilled about this message he has to give. And so he starts to raise some questions to God. But then God goes on to share what his plan is. And he says he's going to raise up the Babylonians, the sworn enemies of Israel. He's going to raise them up to destroy Habakkuk's people. And Habakkuk says, wait a minute, God, you're going to do what? I mean, the Babylonians were way more evil than the people of Judah. God is saying, though, I'm going to use these really evil people to help punish these evil people. And Habakkuk hears the plan and he says to God, God, you've got this completely backwards. This is so not fair. Well, today in your own life, perhaps you are facing a struggle. Maybe it feels like you are walking through a valley. Now, maybe this is related to the virus. You've been locked down or you're not able to be around your family and friends. And it just feels like those times when you are deep down in a valley. Maybe you are experiencing grief over the racism that we've seen in our city and in our culture this past week and even longer. 
You know, it's just a dark and a heavy time as we see what's going on around us. You know, maybe it feels like you're going through a valley as you see the injustices, not only in our own community, but also all around the world. Maybe it's just a personal situation that you're walking through and it it feels like you are in a valley. And just like Habakkuk, maybe you have some big, big questions for God today. Well, last week, what we talked about is that it is possible for a committed follower of Jesus to have simultaneously faith on one hand and questions on the other. It is perfectly reasonable, it's perfectly doable for a committed follower of Jesus to even have doubts on one hand, but still have faith on the other hand. You know, if we're honest sometimes, we might say to God, God, I just don't get it. You know, I'm struggling right now. I'm walking through this valley and I know that you can do something about it. But for whatever reason, you're not. You know, if I were you, I most certainly would step up and take care of this. So I don't understand what's going on. And I'm not sure I actually believe you're being fair. Now, whether you feel that way this morning or whether you've ever felt that way in your life, the book of Habakkuk will speak to you. Well, we also learned last week that the the name Habakkuk literally means to wrestle or to embrace. And if we continue to wrestle with God through our questions and our struggles, if we continue to embrace him, which is really just holding on tightly through the ups and the downs of life, you know, things might not immediately get better like we want them to. In fact, sometimes things will get worse first. But even though we might continue to question and doubt and struggle, we will actually grow closer to God than ever before. Because God uses difficult times, he uses struggles, he uses valleys to help grow our faith and also to grow our confidence in him. You know, if you think of some of the people who are the closest to God, the people in your life that model faith the best, I think oftentimes they're the people who have been through the hardest times because it's through those hard times that God proves himself again and again to be faithful and trustworthy. But what do you do when you are down in the depths, when you are deep in the valley? What do you do? Well, really, that's what chapter two of the book of Habakkuk is all about. And we're gonna learn there are three very specific things that we can do when we find ourselves in the valley. So Habakkuk has just heard all the details about how God is going to destroy his people but use the evil Babylonians to do it. And now Habakkuk responds and he says, here's my plan. This is chapter 2, verse 1, if you want to follow along. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. And then God gives him a response to that. He says, then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. 
This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. So what do you do when you are down in the depths, when you are walking through a valley, when you're struggling knowing God could do something right now, but he's not, and it doesn't seem fair, and it doesn't seem like he even cares or maybe even like he's even there? Well, according to Habakkuk's story, the first thing we should do is stop and listen. In chapter one, Habakkuk is voicing all of his concerns and his questions and his struggles. And the amazing thing is that God is completely okay with that. He is completely fine with every question, every emotion we have. Then Habakkuk finishes up and he says, all right, God, what is your response? It's your turn to reply. I'm looking for some answers, so what do you have to say for yourself? And he says, then I'm going to go climb up into a watchtower. I'm going to stand guard at my guard post. You see, the image of a watchtower, the image of a guard is used often by the prophets in the Old Testament. And what it shows us is that Habakkuk expects to hear from God. It's not if God is going to respond, it's when he will respond. Stone watchtowers were built on city walls so that guards could see people approaching the city. But they were also used in vineyards to help guard the valuable crop that was being grown. You see, what Habakkuk is talking about is not literally going up in a tower. It's, it's putting himself in the best position to receive God's message to him. But I think too often our tendency is to complain and to ask questions and even cry out to God, but never actually stop and listen to what he has to say. To actually turn down all of the noise and the distractions in our life and to listen for him. How much silence do you have in your life? Now, before the current pandemic we are in, many of us, I think, would say very little. We were surrounded by noise and commotion and chaos. But now, for some of you, maybe as you're locked down in your home, away from family and friends, maybe it's been overwhelmingly silence. Well, there's others of us who still have houses full of commotion and kids running around doing distance learning, and the reality is things are still not very silent. Well, what Habakkuk shows us is that we need to take the time intentionally to stop, to be silent, and to listen because God will speak. Now, how will God speak, you might ask? Well, all sorts of different ways. God can speak audibly. But he also speaks to us through impressions or words or circumstances or other people. And every single day, he will speak to us through his word, the Bible. If you're willing to stop, to turn down the noise, and to listen, he will speak to you. 
He will speak into your circumstances. Now, you might not always like what he has to say, just like Habakkuk, but he loves to communicate with us and to speak into our lives. Now, personally, I haven't heard the audible voice of God, but I have heard him speak to me in a variety of other ways. You know, when I was praying about whether to come to Calvary, when I've struggled with decisions or tensions throughout my ministry, God has sent trusted people to speak into those situations. Or he gives me just the right Bible verse for the time. Or he gives me an impression or a thought. You see, God loves to speak and to communicate to us if we would just stop and listen. Now, the second thing we learn from Habakkuk, the second thing to do when we're in the valley is to write down whatever God shows us. Habakkuk asked God where he was, what in the world was going on, and God said, do you really want to know? Well, then take out a pen and paper and write this down. Look at verse 2. God says, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. Look at why God wants Habakkuk to write down his message. It's so that when God fulfills his plans and his purposes, it will be in writing so everyone can see it and everyone will know that he is a God who keeps his word. They'll know it wasn't just a coincidence. It wasn't just luck. And it also, I think, just helps us out to have it written down. Now, guys, have you ever been sent to the grocery store by your wife to pick up two, three, four things for dinner? And you get there and you do the shopping and you come home and you forgot one of the big items you were supposed to go get? Well, I know it's happened to me many times. It helps to write things down. When God speaks, when he shows you something, write it down so you remember it. Because Satan loves to have us forget and to start to doubt that God speaks. So when you're in a valley, when you are struggling, when you are questioning and looking for answers, stop and listen. Write down what God says. And then there's a third thing. Wait. Isn't it hard to wait? If you're like me, waiting is one of the hardest things to do. I want to get my answer right away. I want to move on to the next event or the next thing. I want things to happen in my own timing. Well, God tells Habakkuk, after telling him to listen and to write down what he says, he says, if it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. You see, when God promises something, you might have to wait for a while, and it might be agonizing, but here's the deal. You can always always count on his promises. Just because it doesn't happen immediately doesn't mean God isn't true to his word. Now, maybe some of you are dealing with this right now. 
You believe God's promises to you. He's shown you something. Maybe you've even written it down and you've kept it in front of you. But now you find yourself waiting and waiting and waiting. Maybe sometimes you are afraid it's not going to happen, that you're not going to see it. Well, Scripture has countless examples of people that God made promises to who then had to wait. You know, in the Old Testament, God tells Noah that he should build this gigantic ark because rain was going to come and flood the earth. So he did what God told him to do, got heckled by his neighbors. 120 years went by before the rain started to fall. God told told Moses that he was going to use him to deliver his people and rebuild his nation. But then he found himself wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, waiting for God to act. God told, told Joseph, you are going to be a great leader. But he was sold into slavery. He was put into prison for two years. And it was many years later until God had him rise up to be the number two person in command in Pharaoh's kingdom. In the New Testament, we have the story of the apostle Paul. Paul has a vision and he sees Jesus and Jesus transforms his life and calls him to preach. Paul has this passion for sharing the gospel far and wide, but he spent many years in preparation, getting ready to go out and and to deliver the message. It included three years that he spent in Arabia and more than 14 years of refining and waiting. Now, for those of you who find yourself in a season of waiting, I want to read from Habakkuk chapter 2 again, but this time from the Living Bible translation. This is verse 2. It says, But these things I plan won't happen right away. Slowly, steadily, surely, the time approaches when the vision will be fulfilled. If it seems slow, Do not despair, for these things will surely come to pass. Just be patient. They will not be overdue a single day. God is saying, listen, I'm going to speak to you. Take some notes, write it down, and then wait. God tells Habakkuk, I know the Babylonians are evil, I know they need to be punished. I realize you want that to happen now, but I have a plan and I have it all under control. Just wait. The Babylonians are going to get what's coming to them. And then God goes on to outline five woes to Babylon. You know, sometimes we say, woe is me, but when God says woe to you, it's never good, right? You can read verses 6 through 19 on your own, and you can read all about what God is not happy about. He says in verse 4, Look at the proud. They trust in themselves, and their lives are crooked. You see, that's the main issue. It's a question of trust. Where are you going to put your trust? Where do you put your faith? It makes all the difference. 
The Babylonians and others who he describes as proud and corrupt and evil are trusting only in themselves. They also build all sorts of idols and they expect them to save them and to help them. Now, most of us today are not tempted to go build a little statue to worship, to have idols physically in our presence. But if we're honest, we put our trust in a lot of other things other than God. For some, it's money. For others, it's relationships. For some, it's status or power. For others, it's toys and possessions. But in contrast to all of that, in the second half of verse four, God says, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. That phrase, the righteous will live by faith, shows up three different times in the New Testament. The righteous live not by what they see around them, not because of their circumstances, not by their feelings. They don't put their trust in themselves. Instead, they put their trust in God. They don't put their faith in idols, things that are always going to disappoint and fall short. Instead, they listen. They have faith in what God tells them. They write it down and they wait. And they trust that God is going to fulfill every single promise that he makes. Even when it makes absolutely no sense, even when others doubt. Hebrews chapter 11 is sometimes called the faith chapter. It's a list of people who lived by faith. It says, by faith, we believe the world was created by God. It's by faith, Noah built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham and Sarah believed they would bear a child way past the age of bearing a child. By faith, people marched around the city of Jericho and the walls fell down. By faith, the people of God walked on dry land at the, at the Red Sea as it was parted. All of this happened by faith. The righteous will live by faith. We who are the people of God will live by faith. And so when you don't have enough money left for the rest of the month, but you are obedient to God's word, by faith, you believe that God will provide. When your marriage is falling apart and people are telling you to get a divorce, you say, no, I remember the vows that we made by faith. I believe that God can restore all things. When you receive a diagnosis that is overwhelming, you say, by faith, I believe God can and he will heal me in this life or the next. I believe God is the great physician. See, it's about choosing to walk by faith, not by what you can see. And when the going gets tough, sometimes it means praying the most honest prayer you can pray. We talked about this last week. To say, God, I believe but help my unbelief. Remember, even faith the size of a mustard seed is powerful. God blesses even a tiny bit, a mustard seed of faith. But now what happens when you're living by faith and in your lifetime, you don't see what you believe God has promised? Well, there's three essential words that you have to remember. Never let go of these words. In fact, if you want to grow closer to God, 
If you want to learn to trust him more, the key is standing on these three words. And they come in verse 20. These three words are, but the Lord. You see, it's where Habakkuk says, even though I don't want to believe how this is all going to go down, I'm not really thrilled about your plan. He then says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. See, what he's saying is God's still in charge. He's still God. He's still righteous. He's still faithful. He's still trustworthy. Even in all the craziness of this world, even when our lives say differently, even when things feel out of control, even when it seems like that valley we are in will never end, whether it's viruses, financial hardships, terrorism, wars, job loss, cancer, hopelessness, the horrors of racism, or any other injustice. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent before him. So what do you do when you're in a valley? What do you do when you are down in the depths? You listen, you take notes, and you wait, living by faith, because the Lord is in his holy temple. Now, the amazing thing is that God meets us wherever we are at. And so maybe today you are still in chapter one. You are wrestling with God. You are questioning God. But maybe you're in chapter two. You've heard his promises, but you find yourself waiting and waiting and waiting. He invites us to come to him just as we are, to hold on tightly to his promises and to receive his grace and his love. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you are a God who welcomes us with all of our questions, all of our doubts, all of our struggles, all of our frustrations, that you are big enough to take all of our emotions, all of our feelings, all of our questions. God, I pray for every person today who's worshiping with us. I pray that you would draw us close, that you would allow us to completely share what's on our hearts and our minds with you, to trust it to your care, to trust more today in your promises than ever before. God, help us to take the time to stop and listen, to write down what you have to say, and to live by faith, waiting and knowing that you always come through. God, we pray for our community with so much pain and hurt. We pray for the Floyd family as they grieve the loss of their son and their friend and their family member. God, we pray for our cities that they would experience healing and peace, that you would intervene with grace and love, that there would be no more violence, that there would be no more hurt, but that you would draw people together. God, use us as a church to be peacemakers, to be good listeners, to be advocates 
for anyone who's being oppressed, for anyone who's experiencing injustice. God, help each one of us to take another step of faith today, to keep on growing in our relationship with you. We're thankful that you are trustworthy and that you are faithful and that you are at work. And so we trust all these prayers to your care in the powerful name of Jesus. And we all say together, amen. Well, now receive the benediction. As you go on your way, may Christ go with you. May he go before you to show you the way, behind you to encourage you, beside you to befriend you, above you to watch over you, and within you to give you his love and his everlasting peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.